Hello and welcome to Women Decode STEM and I am your host Neha Savanu. In this podcast I talk to women in science, engineering, technology and mathematics fields. We will be discussing career paths, gender equality and mentorship. Ayurveda is a medical practice that originated in India and has been practiced since the ancient times. I'm sure a lot of us have presumptions and questions about what Ayurveda is. How does one study Ayurveda today? How is it different from modern medicine? Does it treat all kinds of ailments and much much more? So to answer all these questions, we have Dr. Ranjini Deshpande with us today. She's a specialist Ayurvedic surgical consultant. and in addition to her practice she's also involved in academics and mentoring let's see what she has in store for us today hi dr ranjini welcome to the show uh, hello neha thank you yeah this is such a unique topic um not a lot of people know about ayurveda so i'm really excited to discuss this with you yeah thank you uh, of course i am excited to to share a lot many things which are uh, still which are basics for an ayurvedic doctor but still it is uh, really unknown for somebody out there outside the field so i am excited to so that you know people get to know more uh, about ayurveda so can you tell us a little bit about your background what have you studied and what are you doing right now yes okay uh, as uh, as you be introduced uh, i am dr ranjini deshpande I'm a specialist Ayurveda surgeon. Um, I I completed my pre-university studies from Christ University and uh, graduation in Ayurveda from Government Ayurveda Medical College, Bengaluru. I completed my masters in Ayurveda surgery also from Government Ayurveda Medical College, Bengaluru. Masters in surgery that is it is called as Shalya Tantra in Ayurveda. Uh, and uh, currently i am a specialist ayurvedic surgical consultant uh, at shri tulsi ayurveda laya bengaluru and uh, also a chief consultant for shri thakri ayurveda bengaluru uh, my personal interests also include carnatic classical music and yoga so this is about my background okay that is awesome um how long is the duration of your course the uh, masters and the bachelors for ayurveda Yeah, yeah. The undergraduation it uh, includes five and a half years, and that includes one year of internship too. Uh, so that completes undergraduation, and uh, for postgraduation it's a three-year-long course. So it's almost like eight and a half long course to complete uh, the graduation and the postgraduate. Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, similar to like the Western medicine courses as well, yes, right? Yes. Yes. It, it is very. Yes, it's very similar. Okay. So you said that there is surgery in Ayurveda. Um, yes. So can you tell us, like, what are the surgical practices in Ayurveda, and is that different from what we know uh, in general? Yes. Whenever I say I'm an, you know, Ayurvedic surgeon, the first question people put across me is, you know, it's very common, and not just to me. I think uh, every Ayurvedic surgeon faces this question, and that is. Uh, or do you uh, really do you have uh, surgery in ayurveda so that's the main question we come across now now when uh, when we see when we look at the you know history that's the indian civilization it's one of the most ancient and scientific in its own way 
So uh, we can see that throughout the civilization, we also see the practice of medicine that prevailed in its times. And uh, looking at the true history of ancient India, we had the most efficient medical scientists who were proficient in conceptualizing and designing various techniques for healthcare. Now, this healthcare system, obviously, it included both medical and surgical management. Coming to the field of surgery and the details of it in Ayurveda, with respect to the surgical field, you know, we had stalwarts like, you know, Acharya Sushruta, Acharya Jivaka and Acharya Nini, etc., who not only practiced surgery, but they also framed basic principles and theories of surgery, which are well documented also in their texts like Sushruta Samhita, Kashyapa Samhita and the Nimitantra. Now, of all of them, Acharya Sushruta, he is, he is the father of surgery and he is said to have contributed the major section of knowledge of surgery of the ancient medical science. Now, starting with the basics, uh, not just in surgery, but in every profession that is its own professional ethics and so uh, is the importance to surgical ethics. Now, a detailed, um, uh, you know, knowledge on surgical ethics is being described throughout the text of Sushruta Samhita. That is how a surgeon should be, how he has to converse with his patients. The concept of, you know, consent taking before, you know, you operate on the patient. So that's one of the major, before you, you know, even you want to touch the patient's body, you need to have the consent of the patient. So it's be, uh, consent taking is one of the most important with respect to surgery. Another important thing is surgical simulation that is very beautifully dealt in Sushruta Samhita. Now, what simulation exactly means is that, you know, it is very unethical. You know, you are a training surgeon, uh, but yeah, without his uh, practical exposure, it is obviously impossible for you to develop the skills, right? But it's also unethical, you know, to operate or to try any surgical method on a living patient without having a detailed expertise on it. Now, the same concept also prevails in modern surgery too. We have a whole lot of a branch called the surgical simulation in modern concept. Uh, moving on to the surgery proper, what, uh, what else is told in Ayurvedic surgery? First is the surgical anatomy. Uh, now, before you take up any surgery on any part of the body or any tissue of the body, a surgeon must have a detailed anatom uh, you know, knowledge of anatomy of that particular part of the body or wherever he's operating or the organ he's operating on. So that is laid utmost importance even in Sushruta Samhita. Uh, next is uh, with respect to the surgical procedures. So Acharya Sushruta has dealt with uh, eight types of operative measures or procedures and they are called as Ashtavida Shastrakarma. So whatever is the operative procedure you do, all of them incorporate under these eight categories or these eight operative procedures. Another very important and astonishing uh, thing what many people do not know is that the first person to operate, you know, successfully operate on a cataract eye was Acharya Sushruta. So he is given the exact surgical principles on how you have to operate, uh, you know, for a cataract. So even today, the same methods are being followed. So it is very astonishing that way beyond, you know, when microscopes and, and, you know, the physics and, you know, machineries was not invented, how successfully uh, the ancient surgeon knew the exact anatomy of the eye and its contents, the anatomy of the lens and how successfully they performed surgeries on the cataract. So Sushruta Samhita is documented in 1000 BC. 
mm-hmm. and for a surgeon to have you know the depth of uh, knowledge of the depth of anatomy until the level of you know uh, the microvascular level and to uh, have a success in the surgical implementation is very great one important thing is that uh, a person called uh, he is a doctor uh, named as joseph constantine carpu it is said that he learned you know the reconstructive surgery or the plastic surgery in india under the indian surgeons for 20 long years and he was he managed to perform the first independent nasal surgery only in 1815 so we can see that you know where is 1000 bc and where is 1815 so this level of depth of surgery depth of you know immense knowledge of surgical practice prevailed in our great uh, bharat that is india um which uh, which usually it got declined during the period of jainism and buddhism uh because they they upheld the principles of uh, ahimsa so that was the main principle so during then uh, during uh, the reign of jainism and buddhism they found these surgical practices as practices of cruelty and not the practice of medicine so it was then that you know there were uh, many uh, restrictions laid down for the practice of surgery and from then you know years together very very many years together one by one all the practices you know got declined at least mm-hmm. it did not uh, just vanish off from the land of india but it prevailed at portions which were you know it, it got continued to their uh, disciples and that's how it is it still prevails even in the current era too but uh, being a part of the dhanvantri sampradaya that is the sushrutha school being a specialization in the current uh, uh, field uh, so i i felt that you know many people are unaware of all of these practices of surgery that that prevail not anywhere in our own land and uh, you know even before the advent of many machineries and microscopes and very many things sophisticated uh, instruments for surgery so that was the skillfulness and that is the knowledge of uh, you know uh, surgery in ayurveda wow yeah it's really interesting to learn the history of ayurveda and how how long ago it dates back to and all of those practices are still like you're upholding that and you're practicing all of that so yeah this is a very this is a really a short list of um, you know uh, surgical practice in ayurveda <laughs> we have maggot therapy for wound we have uh, you know principles of sterilization how do you sterilize your ot how do you sterilize the instruments how you sterilize you know what the clothing the patient wears mm-hmm. and uh, you know during surgery obviously there is blood loss so suppose there is an accidental blood loss how do you you know conquer it how do you stop it all of this you know each and every detailed principles very important i forgot to mention is the surgical instruments so you know to conduct any surgery you need instruments right so the very basic concept on how a surgical instrument should be is in sushrutha samhita so how you know how an instrument becomes capable to be used for surgery how you hold it and how you incise it in which manner you hold out, out of what material you make what is the shape of each and every instrument you know for with respect to various part of the body 
So each and every detail, I don't think like any portion of it is, you know, left over like that. Starting from the grass level to the deep, to the depth of the subtle level, each and everything is beautifully explained in the Sushruta Samhita. Um, so I would uh, say like anybody who you know finds it interesting can have a, um, you know, a study on the Sushruta Samhita. So talking about all the surgical instruments um, and the procedures, do you use any kind of like modern procedures or instruments like how does it work today yeah okay currently what happens see uh, priorly the surgical instruments were you know um, how how were they described was was based on you know face the head and the appearance of various birds their beaks uh, like few of the birds had you know the long beaks which approximated so certain surgical instruments have a long uh, the operative uh, end of the instrument so all of them in those days uh, with a simile they were being manufactured mm-hmm. of late in the current trend so uh, the principle lies the same like what are the main parts of the surgical instrument how do you use like for example for a simple incision i told you that's that you we do it on a skin mm-hmm. The scalpel has to be held in certain way for certain surgical procedures. Like for example, it is called as a dinner knife position, wherein you know the scalpel along with the handle is held in the form of a dinner knife. Okay. For certain other procedure, it is you, you it is held like a pen. So every principle remains the same, but with you know with the change of time and with the change of advancement of um, machineries and uh, physics. So many things have changed. The, uh, the instruments what we use have been taken, you know, even we use the same modern instruments itself, but the principles on how, you know, they are made now. So that foundation is what is from Sushruta Samhita. Yeah, I understand that better now. Talking about like common people like me and the rest of the world who don't know much about Ayurveda, like what are some of the misconceptions you've heard from people? First thing, uh, usually, I have my own friends, you know, they uh, they usually say, hey, uh, any problem, you can go to her, she'll just, you know, pluck a few leaves out of some plant, uh, she'll, uh, she'll make a herbal paste of it and put it in your mouth. So the basic mis- misconception on Ayurveda is that, that Ayurveda is just a herbal-based practice, but not at all, it is not so. The next misconception is that uh, Ayurveda is just a traditional practice. People think that, you know, my great-grandfather practiced my grandfather practiced, my father practiced, so I am practicing. This is Ayurveda, what people think. People think that there is no research, there is no experimentation or there is no documentation uh, in Ayurveda, but not at all because we can see that how a medical research has to be carried out, how a clinical trial has to be carried out, how do you make a hypothesis how do you conduct an experiment so that you you know put forth your hypothesis how do you experiment each and everything with respect to research and experimentation is beautifully dealt in ayurveda here we can get to know that how ayurveda is a siddhanta and how it is not just uh, you know a traditional practice but it really involves a vigorous medical research and experimentation in it so that is the next misconception on ayurveda i want uh, any layman to know the third is, uh, many people say, uh, in Ayurveda, uh, do you treat, you know, sometimes patients say, or my friends say, I have a skin disorder. Is there medicine for a skin disorder in Ayurveda? Some mm-hmm. people say, uh, like, I have cough or I have some respiratory ailment. Is there medicine for uh, this in Ayurveda? So one thing I have to say is that Ayurveda has not left any field of medicine. 
to quote a few and again i'm repeating all these lists i'm doing are just a few so that i incorporate into the scheduled time otherwise it's a whole uh, you, you can have a whole lifetime you know spent on uh, understanding the science of ayurveda so to name a few there is branch there is dealings of general medicine there is pediatrics in ayurveda there is specialization for or you know an entire science for ent that is the problems of the ear nose and throat there is ophthalmology that is beautifully dealt in ayurveda ophthalmology with respect to both conventional treatment and also surgical treatment there is uh, you know geriatrics principles of geriatrics and treatments for it in ayurveda mm-hmm. there is obstetrics and gynecology in ayurveda one thing to keep in mind that no sonographical equipments were available 1000 years ago but still you know every month how the fetus develops is absolutely you know even more beautifully documented by uh, uh, the ayurveda uh, physicians acharyas of then we have portions for psychology we have pharmacology we have pathology and until now what i said surgery is being dealt embryology is being dealt epidemiology toxicology everything is there in ayurveda another important thing is many of them ask and many of them even do not know that ayurveda also deals with anatomy and physiology to name a few under the anatomy you have the skin the anatomy of the skin you know seven layers of skin they are so they are very small and very subtle that you cannot literally peel the skin into seven layers but you have the references of the seven layers of skin you have descriptions of bones the joints blood vessels muscle tendons ligaments fascias membranes lymphatics all of them are told so i don't think any portion of it was left behind uh, for it to be not called as a complete science like many people what claim to uh, in in fact uh, you know there is a procedure called as dissection of the dead body usually that is done in any course uh, medical course dissection is important so only then you get to know the human anatomy wherein you know you a dead body is preserved in formalin and it is opened up and then you study you know you remove the skin you remove the muscles you study the muscles uh, you see the attachment of the muscles so even the dissection procedure is also documented in sushrutha samhita it, they itself are documents for people who say that it is just a traditional practice not at all these are all proofs and documents for us to say that the science or whatever are the principles told in the science they are you know a series of a serious experimentations and only then they arrive at the principles so okay. these are a certain uh, basic misconceptions yeah yeah i myself didn't know a lot of those so <laughs> okay. yeah definitely i think uh, we need to educate people more about the practices uh, within your field so that that's really nice talking about uh, practice outside of india do institutions teach ayurveda and do they practice ayurveda uh, yeah one thing is i uh, personally i do not know uh, institutions to name them right now but definitely i have heard because i have few of my relatives who you know reside there Mm-hmm. many institutions are taking interest to you know uh, teach ayurveda it is becoming such that you know the westerners are getting more and more interested in ayurveda and uh, i think one day we can end up in a situation wherein the land where ayurveda originated people have to i mean they have to fly across the oceans uh, to the west so that they need to 
uh, if they want to study Ayurveda. I think that that will be the scenario where we will end up <laughs> if people in our country do not realize uh, the treasure what they have for themselves. Like I'm getting a lot of questions, but um, since we have limited time, yes. um, I'll restrict the questions. So, what about um, like the the prescribed medicines that you give? How is how is that different from what we know in general? Okay, one important thing is that uh, actually the practice of you know Ayurveda it needs a lot of uh, knowledge of the science and also that skillfulness because for example suppose I have a medicine A and um, I can use the same medicine with different uh, like for example I give it with honey it has a certain kind of action I give it with ghee it has a certain kind of action. I give it with some other medical uh, uh, medicinal uh, swarasa, that is the juice extract of a medicinal plant, it has a different action. So, uh, you know, the knowledge of each and everything is very important. And first important thing is that we see every individual person as different. Now, mm-hmm. suppose you have, uh, you know, you have a simple fever or you have a simple, uh, you know, throat infection. Now, how I treat you, what medicines I give you, it's not the same prescription for another friend of you showing the same symptoms. So Ayurveda deals with a concept called, called as Prakriti. So each and every Prakriti of the person is independent to himself. And you need to assess that and you need to treat using the assessment of the Prakriti. And it is also called as, you know, the Bala and Sattva of the patient. Now, for example, taking into the same consideration of the COVID crisis now. Now, for example, you know, we, we, are, we are seeing that uh, above 80 years, the patients of 80 years, it's being a little difficult to handle them, handle mm-hmm. the situation. Whereas, you know, a younger generation are able to recover out of the crisis very easily. So there the bala acts. So each and every patient has their own bala according to their uh, prakriti or mm-hmm. their, uh, you know, um, uh, the physical entities. Every single patient or uh, the person who is afflicted with the disease is new as a whole. So we do not have generalized, the principles, treatment principles are the same, but when you go into the action of, you know, putting a prescription for a patient, each and every patient is, you know, different and individual. So this is one of the main um, uh, principle, how we prescribe to the patients. Um, And what about like all these products that you get? say some beauty products that claim to be, you know, made from Ayurvedic uh, concoctions. Okay, with respect to the details of it, you know, when they say claim to be an Ayurvedic medicine, maybe the entire product will not just be filled with chemicals. They would have had extracted extraction uh, from a particular plant. Like for example, for some healthcare shampoo or something, they would have used an extraction from maybe hibiscus. Mm-hmm. or uh, you know various things that in general uh, give you a good hair care so that is how it is but it doesn't mean that you know they are devoid of any preservatives whenever you have to go for a, you know these cosmetic products so whatever is according to the control within the control limits of whatever is prescribed by the board uh, so all of them will, is, will be incorporated but along with that you will have the uh, extraction principles of whatever is needed with respect to that particular therapeutic, I mean, a cosmetic product. But uh, yet, I uh, I always suggest that using all of them in their crude form would be better than any of, uh, you know, the manufactured cosmetic products. 
so whenever you have to keep it, uh, keep them for a longer period of time. So you know, even a proprietary or um, you know uh, a cosmetic product behind them will have the list of ingredients or whatever preservatives added for them. So all of these are these these are artificial chemicals only. So as a my personal advice would be that anything in the crude form and the original form will still you you need not use uh, the shampoo itself. Suppose you have a hibiscus a plant near your house, you can use it directly, right? So you will have a double benefit out of it. That's really interesting. Um, is there anything else you want to add, like generally in terms of like people taking care of their health and certain practices, especially right now uh, during the pandemic? Um, as I told you, there was epidemics also dealt and discussed in Ayurveda. Considering to the situation now or in general, a few of the suggestions would be that one thing is based on the eating habits. You can take it as a request uh, than a suggestion that uh, please eat only when you are hungry. So there is, uh, there is a habit of uh, overeating or eating because it's just time or many such you know, uh, wrong practices with respect to eating. One thing what I have to say is that except for anything to afflict your body from the outside, anything to develop inside your body, it should happen within itself, right? So whatever happens is because of our own activities, how we eat. So with respect to the current situation, my sincere advice would, would be with respect to the eating habits, eat good food, avoid non-vegetarian food, eat only when you are hungry so that your appetite is good. As long as your appetite is good, your health is in hand. So everything uh, falls uh, into the picture. All the diseases comes, comes into picture only when your appetite drops and indigestion starts happening in your body. Avoid sleeping in the daytime. Uh, kindly spend 5 to 10 minutes, at least 15 minutes of your daily routine on um, the yoga practice so that you keep your body and also the mind especially in a state of calmness. At least for 10 to 15 minutes of meditation and pranayama is very important so that your physical and the mental faculties both are in good state that is great advice now coming to our last session of the conversation i have a few questions as rapid fire round yeah are you ready yes okay uh, so first question yes describe yourself in one word uh simple second question what is your favorite book book sushita samhita <laughs> <laughs> kind of obvious i guess yeah <laughs> Last question, yes. coffee or tea? Coffee, definitely. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was it for my rapid fire questions. Okay, that was sweet. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Anjani, for being with us today and uh, giving us a lot of information about Ayurveda. Uh, we still have to learn a lot more, but I think this is a good starting point. Yeah, thank you so much, Neha. You know, the, you know, hel um, giving me an opportunity uh, to say a few details on Ayurveda or Ayurvedic surgery. People out of the Ayurvedic fraternity get to know more about the science. So even if, um, you know, few of the minds, uh, you know, find it interesting, it will be, uh, that will be a, a great achievement for myself. This is my humble attempt to make people across the globe realize that Ayurveda is not just a science of herbs and it is way beyond. So this was a small attempt to try to break the myths and misconceptions. So that is what I want to say and conclude. 
Yes, I am sure that a lot of people would be interested in learning further about Ayurveda. So um, I'm going to leave links and your contact details also in the show notes so yes. they can contact you or they can do further reading. So thank you so much. Yes, my pleasure. That is it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. Let me know by giving us a review on iTunes or Spotify or any other platform that you're listening on. The show notes have links to my guests and all the things that we just spoke about. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast because I will be back next week with another amazing women in STEM.